The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. With your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello, and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast, where we radiate love with Dr. Eben Alexander. I am so thrilled for this interview. Dr. Alexander had a very well-known and well-documented near-death experience back in 2008 and came out of it having written a book, A Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife, followed then by The Map of Heaven, How Science, Religion, and Ordinary People Are Proving the Afterlife, And most recently, the book, Living in a Mindful Universe, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Heart of Consciousness. Eben, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been so looking forward to this. Well, Christy, I have too. Thanks so much for having me on. And I'll also point out that that third book, Living in a Mindful Universe, was co-authored with my partner, and she happens to be the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, and that's Karen Newell. Fantastic. Yes, I would be remiss to not mention Newell, because I know that you have been doing so much since your experience with sound healing. Well, let's just maybe begin with what happened in 2008. Can you tell a bit about that? Sure. I think it's important to point out who I was before. I'd spent 54 years of my life honing a very scientific worldview, and that science was the conventional science of materialism or physicalism, the notion that only the physical world exists, and therefore you must somehow explain consciousness as resulting from some physical arrangement like the brain. And we now know with the evolving science of consciousness, that's not true, that we live in a much bigger and grander universe. But that's who I was before. I wanted to believe what my father believed so fully. He was a scientist. He was a chairman of a neurosurgical training program. And yet he had a strong belief in God and in the power of prayer. And he used that all the time in his kind of neurosurgical practice and healing patients. Like many grew up in the 60s and 70s, as much as I wanted to believe all of that, uh, I also uh, knew that science is a pathway to truth. And 
for a while, I was kind of led down the false cul-de-sac of materialism, our conventional science, uh, although that is evolving rapidly now. And then what happened to me was really a gift because I went uh, deep into coma early in the morning of November 10th, 2008, severe back pain and headache, and then gone from this world with grand mal seizures. And I was gone for a week. And during that time, I had this profound spiritual journey. But the real gift of it all, in retrospect, was recognizing that the nature of my illness, the severe case of gram-negative bacterial meningoencephalitis, completely wrecked my brain in a fashion that would not have allowed any dream or hallucination, much less the most profound, spiritual, detailed, meaningful, and transformational set of events of my whole life. How did all that happen? while my brain was very demonstrably offline. And that is the real gift of my journey. And that's why I've spent the 15 years since my coma working with other scientists around the world and going around and giving talks about it. But the essence of the journey, the real beauty of it, and I'll be very brief, and then we can expand any direction you want to go in. But it started in what I call the earthworm's eye view, a very primitive course unresponsive realm. Important to note that one of the unusual features of my near-death experience was amnesia. I had no memory of Evan Alexander's life, of humans, this universe. It really was an empty slate going in. And in the months and years after my coma, I came to realize how important that particular condition was. But in that amnesic state, it all started with my being raw awareness and what I call the earthworm eye view, a very primitive course, kind of subterranean realm. But I was rescued from that by a slowly spinning white light. It came packaged with a perfect musical melody, and that light led me up like a portal or a wormhole up out of that ugly kind of earth where my view realm into this brilliant ultra real gateway valley that had many features of earth, although it was kind of a world of ideals. There was no death or decay, no imperfections. That would be the realm where one would reunite with higher soul, with soul groups, go through life reviews, plan next incarnations, all that kind of thing. Given my amnesia, I had kind of a different journey, but it was still had all those hallmarks of the NDE, the ability to witness kind of time flow broadly so that this earth time is no longer dominant. That's an important thing to understand about that realm where you can have life reviews, where your birth, death, and everything in between can be simultaneously presented to you because it's actually a reliving of events, not just a remembering of events. And the other important feature of, of life reviews is commonly reported is that the perspective of those who were involved in the experience, not just from your own perspective, but this shows us how we're kind of sharing the dream of the one mind because of life review, you often witness the events from the perspective of others. So if you were busy handing out pain and suffering to others, in the life review, you actually get to feel that. It comes back to you, the way you've treated others. And in other words, the life review is the golden rule, treat others as you'd like to be treated, written into the very fabric of the universe. And I saw that in these two grand visions that occurred both at this stage in this gateway valley and then at the next stage in the core realm. Other things to mention about the gateway valley, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. Millions of butterflies looping and spiraling in vast formations. And I wasn't alone on that butterfly wing. There was a beautiful young woman with sparkling blue eyes, high cheekbones, high forehead. She never said a word. She never had to, but her emotional truth was delivered to me telepathically. And her message to me, I think, was a central message I was to bring back to this world. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. You are richly cared for. And I cannot tell you how reassuring and affirming and validating and beautiful that message was. 
And it had occurred at a time when I was beginning to remember how this was really a spiritual home and to feel that comfort of distant memories of having been there before. And it turns out that I witnessed thousands of beings down in the meadow below, lots of dancing, joy, and merriment. Remember children playing, dogs jumping. And it was all being fueled because up above were these angelic fires, these pure oval spiritual beings that were swooping through these uh, blue-black velvety skies above. And there were emanating chants and anthems, hymns that would just thunder through my awareness. And it was at that point in this gateway valley that I felt that soft summer breeze that I later called in my writings, the divine wind or the breath of God. And that was my first awareness in this amnesic state of the infinitely powerful and loving God force at the core of all of our conscious awareness. And so then what I witnessed was all of this collapsing down, that four-dimensional space-time of this material world collapsing down, deep time, a whole different ordering of causality and temporal flow that allows for birth to death and everything in between to be simultaneous, all of that collapsing down. And I went up through a, yet another light portal that was provided by those angelic choirs. And the angelic choirs led me up into what I call the core. Everything collapsing down, all the dualities of this world, good, bad, dark, light, masculine, feminine, every bit of it collapsing into unity as I entered that core realm. And in the core, always told on entering there, you're not here to stay. You'll be going back. We'll teach you many things. And there were many lessons. And those, are, of course, are the lessons that I've spent 15 years unwrapping in all of these 700 plus presentations I've given and interviews and talks, et cetera. But it turns out that in the journey itself, I would tumble back down from that core realm where I first witnessed that oneness with that divine loving force, that God force, and realized that was a very source of my conscious awareness. But I would then tumble back down to the lowest levels that earth were my view. By remembering the musical notes of the melody, I was able to conjure up that light portal get back up into that ultra real gateway valley with the beautiful young woman on the butterfly wing, my spiritual guide, all of the dancing in the meadow, the beautiful lessons of that realm. And then again, following those angelic choirs and their light portal up into the core realm as everything collapsed into pure oneness with the divine. Went through that journey several times. Then finally, there came a time just as they told me, every time I entered the core, you're not here to stay. We'll teach you many things. You'll be going back. When I tried to use the musical memory of those notes, it no longer brought up the light portal. So I was now stuck down in that earth where my view to say I was sad would be an understatement, but I also knew I could trust that I would be taken care of. And it was at that point that I saw thousands of beings going off around me into the distance with their heads bowed, murmuring energy coming from them, some holding candles. And what I called all that when I came back to this world was the power of prayer. That's what I was feeling. And all these beings that I witnessed going off into the mist and their murmuring energy of love was very reminiscent of that beautiful, loving sense of oneness and spiritual home that I'd first gotten when I entered that gateway valley and then the core realm. And then it turns out that I saw six faces that would bubble up out of the muck. This is at the very end of the spiritual journey, the near-death experience itself. And those faces, I remember them as perfectly today as if they'd all appeared to me yesterday because the visual imagery was very sharp, but I didn't know who they were when I first saw them. My amnesia was still fully in force and they served an important role because a few hours later, I was coming back to this world. And the reason for that really has more than anything to do with the sixth face 
that I saw of those six faces. That was of a 10-year-old boy. Turns out it was my son, Bond. Interesting name we chose for him. Bond had been protected from the worst news during that week. He was 10 years old at the time. And they told him dad was sick, you know, and then he saw me on a ventilator, unresponsive. And then he overheard a conversation with the doctors and the family on day seven. It was a Sunday morning. And in that conversation, the doctor said I'd gone from a 10% chance of survival to 2% with no chance of recovery. And it was time to take me off the ventilator, stop the antibiotics and let me go you know, if the family would agree to that. And of course, this is horrible news for my family. Bond overheard that, came running down the hallway into ICU bed 10, where my eyes were taped shut. I was lying there being ventilated on the blower. And uh, he pulled open my eyelids, one eye over there, one eye over there, neither the pupil working. Anybody in medicine knows that's a horrible scene. But the reality is he was pleading with me, daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. Now, I did not understand the words. I did not recognize his face. But throughout this entire journey, because of my amnesia, I thought this can all continue or it can cease. It doesn't matter. But now, all of a sudden, everything mattered. Because that pleading that I sensed in his voice, even though I didn't understand the words, I knew this was a soul very near and dear to me. And somehow I had to do whatever it was he was asking for, which was very frightening because so far I had not really uncovered the rules of how that world operated. And I knew I had to come back for him. It was the toughest thing I've ever done in my whole experience. It was like crawling out of a gravel pit where every time I reached up, everything collapsed in around me. And yet somehow my higher soul was able to will me back to this world. And so a few hours after all that, uh, I was waking up, fighting the ventilator. They pulled out the breathing tube, and I said, thank you. My language was beginning to come back. I didn't recognize loved ones at the bedside in that moment. My mother, my sisters, my sons, I really had no idea who these beings were, but very rapidly, those personal memories were returning, so that within an hour or two, language was coming back. I was recognizing people. And it turns out that those faces, the six faces I saw were very important because they were mainly family and friends present the last 24 hours I was in coma. And many other family and friends who had been there earlier in the week I had no memory of. So this really helped me to peg that the vast majority of the coma journey had to happen between days one and four or one and five of my seven-day coma. And the timing of all that's explained in the book, Proof of Heaven, with further elaboration in the book, Living in a Mindful Universe, where I go into much more detail about kind of the aftermath of my story. It took me about two months for everything to come back. Interestingly enough, the memories were so complete after they came back that I realized, based on deep conversations with family and friends, that some of my early childhood memories and other memories of that period were more complete now than they had been before the coma. We discuss all that in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, how modern neuroscience is finally concluding memories are not even stored in the physical brain, but that's such a nail in the coffin of materialist neuroscience that it's not widely discussed at this point, and yet it's a simple fact of the matter that memories are not stored in our brain, and consciousness is not created by the brain. The brain serves as a filter, reducing valve that allows consciousness and memory to be expressed in here in our bodily uh, manifestations, but ultimately they do not live there. And therefore, when we die, when our awareness is freed from the shackles of our brain and body, we actually have an expansion of awareness and much greater access to events of our lives. That's what a life review is telling you right there. And as Bruce Grayson, who has studied these things as a skeptical MD for over 45 years, will tell you, the life review is 
like a reliving, not just a remembering of events. And not only that, it's also like a reliving of events where you assume the roles of others around you who are impacted by your thoughts and actions. So in other words, the life review is a very scientific presentation of the golden rule to treat others as we would like to be treated. Because in the life review, if we've handed out a lot of pain and suffering to others, we end up being getting on the receiving end of that. And that gently nudges us towards love, compassion, kindness, mercy, acceptance, and when necessary, forgiveness with our fellow beings. That's the revolution in conscious awareness and in the science of consciousness that's coming to this world. And my journey was a catalyst for that in many ways. It opened the scientific world to the reality of the primacy of mind and the universe, that primacy of spirit, spirit over matter. This is what we're talking about. And the last 15 years since my NDE have been spent working with Karen, working on meditation. Uh, I meditate an hour or two a day. I've been doing that for more than a decade, not just to recover memories of my NDE, but to develop a very active, ongoing relationship with the various spiritual entities and guides and that infinitely loving God force that I first realized in my near-death experience, but have brought all that to life through a process of meditation and centering prayer since that time. Wow. What an amazing journey. Now, you weren't into all of this stuff before your experience. <laughs> I no, I was into science and physics and cosmology and, you know, obviously the brain and neuroscience, but I believed in what John C. Eccles, the Nobel Prize winner, neurophysiologist from Australia, used to call it promissory materialism which is the false notion that if we keep pounding away hard enough at this materialist scientific study of the brain, that ultimately we'll figure out how it creates consciousness. But it doesn't create consciousness, so that's not where the evidence will lead us. We need a much bigger model to explain it all. This is something quantum physicists have known for a century. They recognized, uh, just look at the quotations from Werner Heisenberg and Wolfgang Pauli and Erwin Schrodinger and other brilliant quantum physicists where they stated consciousness is something we cannot get behind or beyond. Consciousness is fundamental, unified in this universe. And that was something that quantum physicists realized. Quantum physics over the last century has actually taken a pathway through experimentation to prove to us through the reality of entanglement, which is really the connection of information through the mental field or the field of consciousness of the universe. That is what was the Nobel Prize in 2022 was given for entanglement. That is showing us that the scientific community is finally moving beyond the bleak and paltry fiction of materialist science that pretends the brain creates consciousness, that pretends that we're birth to death and nothing more, pretends when our brain and body die, it's the end of conscious awareness. But that is false. That defies the evidence. And so this is what our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, is all about, is the unification of science and spirituality through these profound observations about the empirical data of human experience and our trying to reconcile all the empirical information across big fields of study, like neuroscience, philosophy of mind, parapsychology, and all its evidence for non-local consciousness, telepathy, remote viewing, distance healing, near-death experiences, shared-death experiences, which are just like near-death, but happen in people who are perfectly healthy. And then, of course, you've got that giant field of study of past life memories in children suggestive of reincarnation. Might surprise some people to know, but reincarnation is pretty much proven as a scientifically studied field 
based on the work out of UVA Division of Perceptual Studies, more than 2,700 cases that they've studied of past life memories in children, suggestive of reincarnation, and 1,700 of those cases are solved. This all adds in to this giant body of scientific data that supports the reality of primacy of consciousness and eternity of soul. Wow. Wow. So if consciousness is not stored in the brain, it's not stored in the body, where is it? Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I would like to ask you a few simple favors. First of all, please rate, review, and share this podcast wherever you're listening. You know, it sounds like a simple little thing, and it is, but it has a huge impact for us because it helps other people find us in the podcasting algorithms. I don't know how it works, but I do know that it helps a lot. Next, if you would subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether that's YouTube or Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you're listening, just hit subscribe or follow, and that helps you and it helps us. It helps you because then you receive notifications when we have a new episode that's out. It helps us because, again, algorithm, magic, I don't know what happens but it helps. And then finally, you can support our podcast in a tangible way by going to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast, and then click on support the show. Now we have a new feature too. We are now on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon. You can also find the link to Patreon when you go to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast. So on Patreon, for $3 a month or $5 a month, you can support your metaphysical and spiritual growth. You can learn about upcoming guests, and you can get early and ad-free versions of the shows. So please support us. This podcast is free for you to listen, but we have costs, and quite frankly, they come out of my pocket. So if you like this content, if you get a lot out of it, please see what you can do to give back. Thank you so much. Well, consciousness is the thing that exists. More of a question would be, what is all this around us? And that is the stuff that is actually 
emerges from consciousness. None of this exists without that field of consciousness that overall has this top-down causal direction into the events that we experience in our lives. But the evidence for that commonality and primacy of mind really comes not just from quantum physics, as I said, but all these other lines of inquiry. And the tip of the spear, in many ways, is the near-death experience, because this is where people have these profound experiences, whereas they're leaving their physical brain and body when it's in the process of dying, of coming to an end. They come into connection with loved ones who can be at a distance. That's what shared death experiences are all about. A mother who is passing over can go thousands of miles instantaneously to connect with her son or daughter, bring their soul along. That's what shared death experiences are all about. You can read more on that by from Raymond Moody, Glimpses of Eternity. And also a follow-up to that is William Peters' work. And he's recently written a book called At Heaven's Door, At Heaven's Door, William Peters, But they're all about shared death. And then, you know, the evidence goes beyond and beyond, but it all takes us towards this primacy of consciousness and realizing the brain is not the producer of consciousness. And this whole physical world is something that emerges within that field of consciousness, which we can explore. But of course, going into consciousness, like in meditation or centering prayer, allows us to step outside of space and time, just like an NDE is no longer locked into earth time. And this is where we can start to learn and teach and grow and contribute to the transformation of all consciousness through this exploration of conscious awareness and identifying our kind of shared sense of purpose and meaning with our fellow souls and with the universe at large. Now, going back to the near-death experience, there are many who say that the near-death experience is just an artifact of the brain shutting down, the lack of oxygen. But that's false, isn't it? That's completely false. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence for that is the shared death experience. So read those two books I just mentioned, Glimpses of Eternity and At Heaven's Door, and you'll start to realize shared death experiences are not uncommon, and they are a complete refutation of the materialist scientist pseudo-explanation of oxygen tension or carbon dioxide levels in a dying body and brain that are responsible for these experiences because people who are completely physiologically healthy and normal have the very same experiences, even to the point of witnessing a full-blown life review of someone who's leaving the physical world. So that's very important. And the other thing that's especially important in the current era is that hospice work, work in those who are actually dying, fully supports all of these NDE stories and their spiritual nature. There's a recent book by Dr. Christopher Kerr, K-E-R-R. He's a hospice, Buffalo, New York. He works there. That's uh, where the source material of his book. And his book is called Death is But a Dream. And I can highly recommend it. What he does in that book is he basically points out that in his large hospice experience, 89% of his patients have had some profound kind of of end-of-life dreamer vision Uh, usually involving reuniting with souls of departed loved ones, that kind of thing. And that 99% of those patients who had them said they're more real than lived events, that they're more real than real, what you often hear stated by near-death experiencers about their own experience. Mine certainly was way too real to be real, as I put it. But I think Dr. Kerr's work greatly complements and adds to and validates the work in near-death experiences and supports the reality of these journeys and that there's something all of us can expect. 
Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely. Now, part of your near-death experience was this beautiful music that you heard, and it was so profound. I seem to remember seeing you speak at Unity Temple years ago that you were dedicating the rest of your career to this music and educating about consciousness. What was it about that music? Well, the music itself is something that it was an idealized form. People have often asked me, can you hum it or play it on a kazoo or, you know, no, it's an idealized form of music. And I recognize that early on coming back to this world and trying to compare it with earthly music, the most beautiful music I was aware of, and it really just didn't match up. Now, the important thing to note, though, sound was a crucial part of my journey. Note that sound was how I was able to traverse those physical, those spiritual realms, this notion of sound, vibration, frequency. And of course, in those realms, you're no longer limited by sounds that can be expressed in four-dimensional space-time and heard by our physical ears. You can hear idealized kind of perfect music. And that's exactly what I was witnessing and what I was remembering and conjuring up these various light portals to go between those levels. But to me, the interesting thing is how sound also has become so important after my coma in returning to it. And I'm referring there to the fact that two years after my coma, a little over two years after, I'd read a ton of books trying to understand it, a lot of books about physics, consciousness, spiritual traditions, trying to understand my NDE, but came to the realization that ultimately I had to go within. I had to begin a regular program of meditation or centering prayer. And I had heard of something called binaural beat brainwave entrainment, To me as a neuroscientist, it sounded very appealing. It's because you're using slightly different tones to the two ears in a phenomenon discovered in the mid-1800s by a Prussian physicist. And by having slight differences in the tones, there's a circuit in your lower brainstem that actually compares those arriving sounds and can calculate the difference in the phasing between them down to tens of microseconds. Very impressive timing circuit that is very ancient. This circuit arose more than 300 million years ago before mammals walked the earth. And that's one of the reasons why I think sacred acoustics and similar very exceptional binaural beat brainwave entrainment can be so powerful. Every sound of chant, anthem, hymn that you've ever heard that engendered a deep, profound, transcendental conscious state of awareness was processed up in the acoustic cortex of the temporal lobes. These are circuits up, up that in the neocortex that have basically arisen and evolved in the last two or three million years in Homo sapiens and in primates. Very different are those circuits in the lower brainstem that handle differential frequency brainwaves entrainment like sacred acoustics. That circuit, the superior olivary nucleus, arose more than uh, 300 million years ago, as I said. And I think there's a general principle in evolutionary biology that if you want to really get at the heart of a function, here that function would be consciousness, you need to examine the anatomy and the evolution of the anatomy of associated structures. So that would be the brain in this case, in this discussion. And so following back the evolution of the brain, we find 300 million years ago that this circuit was actually something used for localization of auditory threats. So if I hear a sound, a snap behind my head, that same circuit calculates where that sound is by measuring the difference in the phasing and in the arrival of the waves coming to the two eardrums. And we're using that to modulate the ascending ignition signals for the entire brain 
that modern neuroscience believes that the reticular activating system in the lower brainstem is responsible for. So in other words, not to turn this into some boring neuroscience lecture, but the reality is by manipulating and oscillating at this lower brainstem level, as these sounds cause in our conscious awareness, that's what allows us to be set free. And that's where you'll realize what I'm talking about. If you try to meditate, if you've ever meditated before and you were bothered by your monkey mind voice that kept annoying you, that is the part that can go into timeout. And you can come to acknowledge that your soul and your consciousness is not that noisy monkey mind. It's the awareness of it. That's the existence of the universe, which we all share, that mind of the universe. And that's where I've learned to use sacred acoustics on a regular daily basis and put that little voice into timeout. The little voice in my head, the Evan Alexander voice, it can state a request, make an intention, ask a question. But then I've learned to ride the tones of sacred acoustics, and that voice goes into timeout, and I no longer am bothered by that monkey mind. I love how Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, he calls that voice in your head your annoying roommate. And that is a very good way to put it. Yes, that is not your soul. That is not your deeper understanding of your sense of purpose and mission in this life. And it's not also who you are. You can find out much more about who you are by putting that voice into timeout, going into deep meditation, following these tones, and letting the universe introduce you more to your higher soul and to your soul groups and to related guides and angels and other forces that I discovered in my NDE, but I've also found are available to us in meditation and centering prayer. And you've got a meditation CD out, a sound journey CD called Seeking Heaven that you've put out with Karen Newell. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, we do. That was something that we did early on back in around 2013 that had to do with our emerging awareness of the importance of binaural brainwave entrainment and how each and every one of us could use it as a tool to get in. So Seeking Heaven was one of our early efforts to get that whole story out to people in, in powerful ways. I will tell you it's a very valuable resource, but I would also add that sacred acoustics has evolved beyond that. And for those who are seriously interested, I would encourage them to go to sacredacoustics.com to learn a lot more about every bit of that. Karen has put together a great website. It's very educational and instructive, informative to help people from all different lines, people who have never meditated before, people who have meditated for 40 years, they can all find benefit by going to sacredacoustics.com and starting to uh, learn from her website and then start using the tools that are available there. There's an excellent app available that works especially well on the iPhone in Sacred Acoustics. And in addition, I will point out that sacred acoustics as a modality has been strongly validated, especially in the treatment of anxiety in a peer-reviewed scientific paper by Dr. Anna Yusim, Y-U-S-I-M. The paper came out in, I think it was January of 2020 in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases. And that paper found that in a busy psychiatric practice in Manhattan in New York City, that Dr. Yusum was able to demonstrate a 26% reduction in anxiety symptoms after only two weeks of listening to these tones. That's compared to a 7% reduction in anxiety symptoms in those who got a traditional talk therapy. So a tremendous benefit over just two weeks of listening to sacred acoustics and alleviating anxiety. And that's in a peer-reviewed publication. And I'll point out that the set of tones that were used in that study 
It's called the Hold Mind Bundle. And Karen was kind enough to make that available to people at large during the pandemic at a discounted price. I think the price she pulled it down to was $19. But she also, given the economic cataclysm of the pandemic, she knew that a lot of people didn't have money anymore. And therefore, she made it available for free. So on sacredacoustics.com, that whole mind bundle still has access for free for those who have financial difficulties and cannot afford it. I think that's an extremely generous and kind gesture from Karen to share that with the world at large, especially something, the very same bundle that was proven in the scientific study to have such a powerful effect in alleviating anxiety. And God knows in our modern polarized world, there's plenty of anxiety. So this is a wonderful gift from Sacred Acoustics to the world at large to help all of us come into greater comfort, seeing the oneness we share with our fellow beings. This kind of meditation can lead to a tremendous amount of peace and harmony and sensing that all is well and that this world can get much better if we put our efforts into helping each other and showing love, kindness, and compassion for all of our fellow beings. That's the best way to harvest the love of the universe is to serve as a conduit for that love to help each and every one of us. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, after your coma, you could have gone back to neuroscience eventually, right? And you had a very successful career in neuroscience and neurosurgery, but you chose to go a completely different avenue after your experience. Why did you do that? Well, it turns out the work I was doing when I went into coma, I was serving as the research director, global research director for focused ultrasound surgery. Interesting, it also involves sound. Uh, I was going around the world coordinating research efforts in this very promising technology where you use ultrasound energy for therapeutics, not for imaging. You actually use MRI to image the thermal signature of the, of the uh, focused ultrasound. That's what I was doing. And uh, it turns out that I was back at work full-time doing exactly that job within three months. A big shock, especially not only to uh, my fellow neurosurgeons, but also to my boss at that foundation, who happened to be a neurosurgeon, who was shocked that I was able to return to work. But what I quickly came to realize as I was going back through my medical records and discussing it with my doctors, that a real miracle had happened here, something extraordinary and worth sharing. And as much as I enjoyed all the work I'd done healing patients with brain operations and neurosurgery, and then, of course, all this work I was doing to enhance research in this very exciting and potentially revolutionary medical field of focused ultrasound, I had a bigger mission in life. That came clear to me four months after my coma when I had that recognition of who the beautiful guardian angel on the butterfly wing was. And I won't spoil that story now. People who have read Proof of Heaven will know exactly what I'm talking about. I think that's the part that absolutely shocks people into, oh my God, this, this story is mind-bending. And so I realized when I started giving these talks, which was about uh, two and a half years before the book Proof of Heaven came out, that I was getting so much interest and so many people telling me that it reminded them of experiences they knew in their own lives and the loved ones, relatives, et cetera, that uh, I really had to shift my focus. And no longer, I could not do neurosurgery part-time. And that's what I'd been trying to do up until this point. And now it was just time to let it all go and to go full speed ahead into my new life of sharing this reality of the primacy of consciousness that has tremendous implications for science, for religion, for humanity at large. And I have no regrets about the pathway I've taken. 
although I do miss working with patients and I miss what I was able to do with my hands on a daily basis to make a given patient's life better. But I'm especially grateful that my efforts now can improve the lives of many millions more. Many millions more. Why do you think you were chosen to have this experience and take this journey? I don't think I was chosen at all. Near-death experiences happen by the millions. They always are primarily of importance to the experiencer. My NDE was very powerful in helping me come to some deep answers about my own life, whether or not I was worthy of love. I've been uh, put up for adoption when I was 11 days old. Those who've read Proof of Heaven will realize how that was a big struggle in my life. And so personally, I got tremendous benefit from this journey. But also as a neurosurgeon, as someone interested in brain, mind, consciousness, the nature of reality, someone who's always had a very strong scientific bent, this was an extraordinary gift to help me come to a deeper understanding of quantum physics, deeper understanding of neuroscience, philosophy of mind, the nature of reality. Every bit of it has been a gigantic gift. I could not have imagined how much my life would be improved from having gone through, should have killed me, week-long coma due to bacterial meningoencephalitis. And yet it was a tremendous gift. So this is all about our society taking these lessons from near-death experiences and the broader study of them scientifically, because you must move beyond NDEs to understand them. You have to move into the world of actual dying, that hospice and palliative care work of Christopher Curry. You have to move into philosophy of mind and the apparent binding problem, which is this unity of consciousness, which is very hard to explain if you think it's all different neuronal populations in the brain that are adding together to this conscious experience. Well, that doesn't explain that unity at all. And all the evidence for non-local consciousness out of parapsychology, these are tremendous challenges to the modern scientific world, and yet answers start to come clear as we move towards consolidation of this information and examination of all these lines of reasoning. They all then contribute to this understanding of primacy of consciousness, which ultimately is a revolution that will save this world. Our false sense of separation that's come from materialism, a false interpretation of Darwinian evolution that focused mainly on competition without acknowledging the role of collaboration and cooperation that is widely acknowledged in modern biology as the deep principles of evolution. This is world changing. And the myth of physicalism and that you know our existence is birth to death, nothing more, the death of the brain and body is end of conscious awareness, that myth must be dispelled. The fact that we reincarnation is a huge part of the scientific literature. Witness the UVA Division of Perceptual Studies, more than 2,700 cases they've studied in the last six decades, 1,700 of those cases solved. That is, they actually found the person that the child is reporting having been in their previous life. So the scientific world is slowly but surely awakening to a far grander reality which views the primacy of consciousness, our connectedness of mind as a fundamental principle of this universe, and that free will is alive and well. You know, the materialist science that I worshipped before my coma, I don't use that word lightly, that materialist science would scoff at you if you claim to have any free will. And that's because they view it all as chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain, giving you an illusion of conscious awareness, but no actual will to control any kind of outcome. And that's why they have it completely wrong. 
This is all about quantum informed science of consciousness, where we're sharing that one mind. We're all in this together. That God mind is the very source of our conscious awareness. And as we grow into a deeper cultural knowledge of this, it will shift us into a focus on taking care of each other, including the least, the last, and the lost, the refugees of this world. It's imperative that we start taking better care of all of our fellow spiritual beings. And that includes not just humans, but animals because they are all in this with us, and it will ultimately provide a tremendous revolution to this world and the way we behave. And it will be the end of that bleak fiction of materialism that pretends that we're uh, finite, limited beings with no free will at the whims of chemical reactions and the fluxes of subatomic particles. That is not the deeper truth. We are masters of our soul and of this evolution of consciousness and awareness. And that's what this is all about, is evolution of that one mind in general. What do you hope comes out of this work that you're doing now? Well, I can say world peace and harmony and just everybody getting along. There are reasons why our materialism and the false sense of separation that it harbors have been so deadly. And they've led us into this cul-de-sac which actually threatens millions of species with extinction. That has to do with our corporate greed, the way the energy industry has continued in spite of the fact that I can show you an article from 1912 where a scientist remarked on how burning carbon-based fuels would lead to heating of our planet. And that's exactly what's happened. We saw it when I was studying science in the 70s and 80s. We knew climate change was a very real risk, but we thought it was going to be a problem for our children and grandchildren. Well, guess what? Climate change is a gigantic problem for all of us now. And anyone who doesn't recognize that has their eyes closed and lives in a cave or they're just plain old stupid. But the reality is we need to take proper stewardship of this planet. And that involves a tremendous shift around our addiction to fossil fuels and biomass burning and going to sustainable energy. Uh, solar power, wind power, magma power, et cetera. There are many different ways that we can power this planet and realize that the resources are finite. We don't have infinite access to resources here. We need to quit having an economy that treats it as if we can keep ripping things from the earth uh, to infinity and beyond. We cannot. And also our plastic pollution is threatening many species and it is high time we woke up to this unity of mind, to this bigger model, how we're all in this together. And it's that God mind that binds us through love, compassion, and kindness that truly brings us together. And it's time to change and become truly wise. Homo sapiens, sapiens means wise. But I would say to date, sapiens, uh, even though, yes, I can point to some wisdom in the way we've applied science to communication, to transportation, and to other various fields, but now it's time to apply science to uh, the deeper reality of the nature of existence and of our shared kind of spiritual uh, reality. And we need to do that in time to avoid millions of species on this planet coming to extinction due to the actions of one very unwise homo sapiens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's the next step for your work? Well, as Karen will tell you, I'm always interested in mechanism. I realize science has come a long way. The awarding of that Nobel Prize in physics in 2022 for entanglement 
that's really the first admission by the scientific community that four-dimensional space-time is no longer the ultimate theater in which our field of study unfolds, but there are connections of information, assimilation, and integration that go on behind the scenes in that entanglement field that really demonstrate to us the reality of consciousness in that conscious field as where the universe happens. The physical universe all emerges from that. So I'm deep into the study of mechanism from a scientific perspective, and this involves a deep dive into how neurons work and neuronal populations and showing how top-down causality works in that model to where we have influence from the mental layer of the universe, from that God mind that we all share and are part of, influencing all the events that we see emerging in this world. And I want to get right at that mechanism and that brain-mind connection in the deepest way. But also, we're working on efforts to demonstrate the reality of the soul. That's a very parallel effort, but in many ways, it can demonstrate to each and every one of us how we're all in this together. We're an eternal soul, so we come back again and again over multiple incarnations. And that book, of course, will help people identify that bigger context in which they exist. I continue to work with scientists around the world. People can go to scientificandmedical.net, go to galileocommission.org. Those are two organizations I'm a scientific advisory board member of, and uh, you can learn a lot more about this, but it's really a whole group of scientists around the world working together to help change this world for the better, prove the reality of this fundamental kind of nature of mind over matter or spirit over matter, and help us all come into some sanity about how we live our lives with meaning and purpose. Wow. Wow. What an amazing body of work. I'm so glad that you've got this platform now of the books and the music and everything else, the scientific research that you're continuing to do to continue preaching the gospel of consciousness. I think it is so important. Is there anything else that you think is important that we have not touched on, Evan, that you would like everyone to know? Well, one thing is I would like to point out to everyone a resource. This is no longer a discussion of whether this is scientific or not, this discussion. Uh, the science of the afterlife has already been well established. And a resource is bigelowinstitute.org. Highly recommend people go to that site. You will find 28 essays that were written in the year 2021, all of them by people who had demonstrated at least five years research experience as a scientist looking at the afterlife question. And these 28 essays go a long way towards proving beyond any reasonable doubt that not only the afterlife, but reincarnation are very real aspects of the human condition from a scientific viewpoint. So bigelowinstitute.org is where I would like to send a lot of people. And then also just recommend people visit me at ebonalexander.com. Especially I recommend the FAQ page, the reading list, recommended reading list there with a lot of hot links to active scientific papers, and also many links to interviews and videos present there at ebonalexander.com. In addition, go to sacredacoustics.com to learn a lot more about meditation and the powerful tools that I use daily for centering prayer and meditation. Also, I'd like to recommend innersanctumcenter.com, I-N-N-E-R, sanctumcenter.com. And that's a site that Karen and I put together, mainly Karen's brilliance, but it has to do with multiple lines of investigation that people can check into, including a whole bunch of interviews we did during the pandemic with global thought leaders in the modern consciousness movement. Those interviews are all available for free at innersanctumcenter.com. We also hold a monthly 
live webinar with a lot of our followers. That's available at innersanctumcenter.com. And there's also a mental health course that we did with Dr. Anna Usum that's available there. So many lines of uh, research and inquiry that people can connect with us and learn a lot more about all this. And of course, the books, Proof of Heaven, Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe go a long way towards putting this picture together, especially that third book, Living in a Mindful Universe. And I'll remind people that there's a 10th anniversary edition of the book, Proof of Heaven, that has 36 additional pages beyond the original book. And those pages explain a lot of what's happened in the decade since that book came out. So that also many people found to be tremendously valuable. Wonderful. I can't wait to get my hands on that version. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Evan. It has been such a joy and such a pleasure. I can't wait to go back and listen again to catch all of the names and the references and everything else. But thank you very much. Well, Christy, thanks so much for having me on. And thanks for doing what you do to get all of this out there taking wellness to the world. So I appreciate your inviting me on. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine? speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.